Welcome to the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire from the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum blog, where we like to talk about how to make sex and marriage into a passionate adventure and not just a giant to-do list. And we are here in week 154 of COVID or whatever it seems like it is. And I thought today we could do a COVID podcast. So we have two COVID questions to tackle on our podcast, what it's like being in quarantine with your spouse, and then I'm going to answer another reader question as well. I know that in some jurisdictions, they're starting to lift some restrictions. And so some of you might be able to move around again. We're still not quite there where we are. Although my life is pretty much the same as it would have been anyway, because we have a big book deadline next Friday uh, for our manuscript, The Great Sex Rescue, which I'm writing with my daughter, Rebecca, and our friend, Joanna, who's our research person that's based on that survey of 22,000 women. Thank you to all of you so much who filled out that survey and who did some of our focus groups as well. Um, So we're putting the final touches on that. No matter what, I would be stuck at home writing furiously anyway. So I kind of feel like my life has not changed. But I know for many of you, it has. And so I thought we could tackle some of those questions. Here is a really good one that I'm going to jump in with. A woman writes, how do I feel sexy during quarantine? I need some practical tips and some spiritual insight. My husband wants more sex and I am so not in the mood since my hair has turned brown, my eyelashes fell off and I just feel gross. The situation makes me think about how we tie up our sexiness in this thought that we need to be pretty and that our partners need to think we're pretty in order for us to feel desired. But I know that's messed up, so I don't think it's just a practical issue. I think it's a spiritual one for me as a woman. But I still don't know how to get there, so I could use some good practical and theological direction. I don't know if I can give you a lot of theological direction on this, but I'm going to try, okay? So the Bible definitely tells us that our beauty is not just external or even primarily external, but that it comes from the inside. Absolutely, that is true. And our worth is found on the inside. However, I do think that there is also a drive to be attractive and to to look like you have yourself together. And here's the thing. I don't know if it's just about being pretty as much as it is about how you feel about yourself. Like when I get dressed in the morning and I put on an actual shirt and not a sweatshirt and some fitted jeans and not just yoga pants and I actually put on jewelry, even if I'm not going out, if I put on a necklace and some earrings, I feel more put together. And when I do that, I'm not just doing that to be prettier. I'm also doing that because we tend to dress in certain ways when we are on, okay? Like when we're trying to get stuff done, when we're trying to be productive, when we're trying to take on a huge project, we dress with respect. But when we just want to lounge around, we tend to dress down. And I think part of putting on the fitted jeans and the shirt and the jewelry isn't only because you want to look pretty, but it's because you want yourself to feel, okay, I'm ready to take on something big. But when we dress down, we just feel like, "Ah, I'm just not really doing anything. I'm just lounging around. Nothing that I'm doing is very important. And when you feel like nothing that you're doing is very important or that you're just lounging around, you're not going to feel like having sex. Like having sex flows out of feeling turned on to life, you know, and part of being turned on to life is feeling like I'm being productive, I'm getting stuff done, I enjoy my life, I'm present, and 
And goofing off rarely turns anyone on, okay? (laughs) It's like if you want to be romantic, you tend to make an effort, right? Like you get dressed up, you put candles on the dinner table, you put music on, you you make the effort to make life different than every other night because you're showing I am being romantic. We put in effort to create certain moods. And so when we put in zero effort at all, we're going to create a mood where sex is the furthest thing from your mind. And I don't think that this is just a theological problem. I don't think it means that you're sinning or that you're putting your worth somewhere wrong. I think it just means that when you're in quarantine, it's really easy to do nothing and to act really sloppy. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. Okay, like there are days where I want to stay in my pajamas all day because that's just where my head is at. But Staying in your pajamas all day or looking sloppy all the time is just not conducive to a good sex life. And it's not necessarily because you're not pretty, but it's because the way that we dress, the way that we act actually changes how we think about our environment and what's going on. So, you know, one thing that Rebecca has been doing as we've been um, working on the last stages of the book is every day she's been putting makeup on. I haven't put makeup on in quite a while. Usually I do. I haven't done it in quite a while because I'm such in book mode, but she just, it gets more done when she has makeup on because she feels like, okay, I've taken care of myself. I I feel more professional. And when we're at home all the time, it's just really easy to let some of those things go. Now, I sympathize with you about your hair. Okay, you should see my roots. Like I have such major roots showing here. I need a dye job. I need a haircut desperately. Um, I get that. But you can still make some effort in the morning. Just, you know, put on the jewelry, put on some nice clothes and get stuff done. I find the more that we can get stuff done during quarantine and the more that we feel like we're not just sitting around doing nothing, the more you're going to feel sexy. So take on a project, clean out a closet, um, organize all your photos from the last few years, bake some bread, do some things that you've always wanted to master or that you've always wanted to get done. Let yourself feel like you're being productive. And when we feel like we're being productive, you tend to feel a lot sexier. I mean, think about it. When God created us, he created us to work, right? He put us in a garden. He told us to tend the garden, to look after the animals, to look after the garden. He intended to have us work. Certainly he gave us a day of rest, but it was one day a week. It wasn't the whole week. Like the purpose of life is not just to have leisure. The purpose of life is to actually be productive, make a difference in the world, make the world a better place. And so during COVID, do what you can to make the world a better place, even if it's just organizing your house more, um, getting a handle on things, mastering a new skill, whatever it might be. But as you do that, I think you're going to start to feel like you're sexier. And yeah, your hair might need a dye job. And yes, your false eyelashes may have fallen out. But the reason that we take care of our hair and that we put the false eyelashes on and stuff like that isn't only to be pretty for those of us who do do those sorts of things. It's also because you want to be put together. You want to feel professional. You want to feel like you're getting stuff done. And the way that we choose to present ourselves does reflect how we feel about our roles. So it's not wrong to want to feel pretty, but I would just say that the reason that we look pretty normally is not just to feel sexy. It's also because of the kind of life that we want to be living. And right now, COVID has really disrupted that. So the more that we can get that life, even while you're stuck at home, the more the sexiness is going to return because it's not only based on your hair, okay? It's based on, am I actually doing the things that God has called me to do? Because you know what makes you feel the most sexy, seriously, is just feeling in the groove, feeling like, yes, I am accomplishing stuff. I'm an amazing woman. I'm 
I'm a powerful woman. I'm a strong, powerful woman of God. I am awesome. And when you feel that, you're going to feel sexy. So what can you do at home to feel like I am a strong, powerful woman of God and I'm awesome? And that doesn't mean that you don't take downtime during COVID. This is a really stressful time for all of us. And sometimes you just need to stay in the pajamas and just read a book all day. But I would also suggest that at least some of the time, if you want to feel good, you know, clean out a closet, bake some bread, do something different and feel like, yeah, I am accomplishing something. This is pretty amazing, even if it's something small. And I think that that is going to help your outlook as well. And hey, if you also do want help feeling sexy, remember that I have my 24 sexy dares in the store. They are super fun. You can do the vast majority of them at home and they do not require a lot of props, but I set them up so that There's eight that he takes the lead on, there's eight that she takes the lead on, and there are eight that you do together, plus one big bonus one. And the ones that he does are really focused on learning how to arouse you and what makes you feel good. The ones that um, you take the lead on are often focused on how to help him feel really pursued and how much he likes to look. And so if you're just feeling really like, I am just not attractive right now, try some of the sexy dares that you take the lead on because that can help you feel sexy. And hey, if your husband wants sex, then he thinks you're attractive, even if you don't right now. So do some of those dares, reassure yourself. Yeah, I still got it. I'm still in the groove. He still loves me. We're still in a good place. And no matter what happens, we really are going to be okay. You know, there's just a ton of uncertainty right now. There is. Nobody knows how this is going to turn out. Nobody knows when this is all going to be over. A lot of us have a lot of health concerns. A lot of us have an awful lot of money concerns. And it's just one of those times in life where there's really very little that we can do. And so we're all feeling a little bit out of control. So in that time, just cling to each other even more because no matter what, you've got each other and you've got God. And let this be a time that we lean into that a little bit more and realize that our worth isn't just based on what we do outside the house. So lean in and have some fun. And now I'm going to turn the podcast over to Rebecca and Connor to answer our next question about COVID and marriage. Hi, this is Connor here with my wife, Rebecca. Hello. And today we're going to be talking about how to survive being at home with your spouse all the time. Because that's (laughs) what a lot of us are facing for the first time in a while uh, during this quarantine. Uh, Rebecca and I have been living like this actually for uh, a couple of years now. Yeah, this is our normal because we both work from home. We both work on the blog, right? So we just are always, always home together. Yeah, the quarantine has changed shockingly little in our lives. Yeah, in fact, it's been a little bit of a wake-up where we probably need to see people (laughs) a little bit more. We need to leave the house a little bit more than we do normally. And so with COVID, there's no surprise that we're getting a lot more emails about how to handle this whole very close contact with your spouse all of the time kind of thing. So here's a reader question that we just got. My husband and I have been married for over 10 years and are really happy for the most part. I love having him around and he often worked from home before quarantine and we both love that arrangement, but quarantine brings a whole new level of being in each other's space all the time. This might be fine if it were just us, but add in four kids and a baby that hates sleep and it's struggle street. We are exhausted and short with each other and things that don't usually bother me are super irritating right now. Sex has taken a back seat because we are just so physically and emotionally drained all of the time. Add to that the fact that the baby hasn't decided she won't settle before midnight and so there isn't even any opportunity to have sex even if we were in the mood. Not having the chance to do things we would usually do apart that we enjoy is also not helping. Any ideas that might help us connect and survive this time well? 
being in each other's space all the time can be exhausting. We do this every day though, and we really enjoy it. Yeah. And we do it with a six month old and we did it with a newborn. And obviously that's very different than having a bunch of kids, but there are some principles that we've found that help a lot to make life just less stressful and a bit more manageable, even when you're both in each other's space all the time. And we did this in a small apartment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've done this in a very, very small matchbox size apartment during our first year of marriage and then in a slightly larger, still small apartment. Yeah, back then it was school rather than work. Yep, exactly. And we didn't have kids yet. But we've we've done a lot of time with each other in very small quarters. Yeah, and we always found ways to make it work. Exactly. So, here are some ideas. So, I want to start off by saying, use this time to get a system in place for housework and for setting up your space that is fair and that works. It's so important that both of you are contributing and really getting involved and are really communicating and getting on the same page with this process. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of you may be realizing that now that you're home all the time, you're not leaving the house, your house is a lot messier than normal and Mm -hmm. that there's actually a lot more work to get done. That's really normal. Like think about how much more time you have to create mess if you're home 24 hours a day versus if you're only home for like, you know, five hours of awake time. Yeah. And that can be a really big source of frustration if Mm -hmm. it's not getting taken care of when suddenly your spouse is spending a lot more time at home and the house is messier and you don't feel that they're doing as much as you are despite being around the same amount. And so it's just really important to communicate and get systems in place. Yeah, exactly. And kind of the way that we've been sorting this out is, first of all, we try and both of us are kind of messy people like we've talked about before. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, we try whenever we do something to not leave unnecessary mess. Yeah. Right? So you make yourself a sandwich and if you use the last of the cheese, you don't just leave the cheese wrapper on the counter. You Mm -hmm. throw it out. Right. Even just little things like that. But then the big thing is we separate our work time on when you are on or versus off. And that kind of is going to lead into the next point too. But when you are off work, then you are responsible for the cleaning that needs to happen right then. But if you are on work, you're not responsible for it. So for instance, if we're having a day where I'm taking care of the baby in the home and Connor is working eight hours, I don't get to be mad if he's not cleaning during those eight hours. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and vice versa. If I'm working, I can expect him to do the stuff that I would have done yeah. in those eight hours. And really the only way to sort that out is to just have it very clearly stated what needs to get done. You know, we're working right now on making a big chores list that's going to go on the fridge with like a dry erase marker so we can mark off when things happen. Kind of like when you work in a fast food restaurant and it's yeah. like, when was the bathroom last inspected? <laughs> <laughs> that kind of thing. And so that's one thing that we've we've kind of sorted out is, yeah, you need to recognize that even if before you weren't doing that much housework because you worked outside the house and your spouse was home, even if you're still working eight hours, the mess is going to be bigger simply because you're home and you need to pitch in a little bit more. And because there are more people sharing the space, that mess is probably going to have an even bigger impact on your enjoyment of the space that you're in. It can feel a lot more cramped when you have more people in the house. Yeah, and I do wanna say too that if you are a couple who both of you normally work outside the home and you have kids and you both end up working at home, it can be very easy for mom to have to take over more than just her fair share because Mm -hmm. often, you know, it's just societal expectations. So not all marriages are gonna be like this, but just kinda do a a quick troubleshooting check to make sure that you're not putting more on her than is on him, right? If you both have to work eight hours, 
you both have to work eight hours and you both have to do the rest of everything else too. You are even and so let's make it even. Yeah. Right? I, I see this big trend of, you know, one partner coming home from their eight hour job at work. And sure, you can say like, yes, their job is stressful. It's high pressure, high intensity. And so when they come home, they just like to not do anything and relax. But being at home, taking care of kids, doing chores, being in charge of all these different things, having those all on your emotional plate is a lot of work too. And so it's important that we're not just shutting off when we get home. No. Yeah, exactly. We need to make sure that both people have a chance to decompress. And especially if you're both working from home right now, like mm -hmm. maybe take 20 minutes at the end of your workday to just kind of relax and do nothing to decompress so you can jump right in and give your spouse now a little chance to just relax but it's got to be something that you actually consider and whether or not this is a fair division yeah so going back to that concept of time on and time off this is something that's helped us a lot now this is also easier for us because we already have an at-home workstation. we mm -hmm. have an office we do this every day this is a necessity for us so if you do have like an office area this is easier but we have it very clearly delineated when we are on and when we are off. When I'm not writing a book, usually Connor works from like 7.30 in the morning mm -hmm. when we wake up and then he's off work between four and five, depending, yeah. on, depending on the day. And then at four or five, whenever he's off, he takes the baby and I am 100% off to do whatever I need to do, whether it's make dinner or, you know, do a bit more work on my own. And then otherwise I just work during the baby's naps. Yeah. And that's our setup right now because I breastfeed and frankly, it just makes a lot more sense. And having a very clear on off schedule makes it a lot easier because if he's working, I in general, I'm supposed to treat it like he's outside the house working, right? Mm -hmm. I don't always, <laughs> <laughs> but that's the theory. And it, and it works really well because we do it most of the time, right? Like if yeah. you're in here doing the podcast, I'm not coming over showing you funny videos of cats or something. Exactly. Yeah. That often. It's not super frequent. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, but at the same time, when we switch and I'm off, you don't get to just bring stuff to me either. No. Right? Like if you have to make dinner and I'm working, you have to Google the recipe. You don't get to ask me. Yeah. Because I have my time. Yeah. No, when Rebecca is off or when she is on work and I'm on baby duty and I'm in charge of dinner and any meals that need to get made, that's on my plate, which means it's not me coming to Rebecca asking how this gets done or asking if she can take care of this or if she has any advice on this. It's on my plate. I just take care of it. Yeah, it's exactly. It's not something that Rebecca should need to think about because she's working. Yeah, and so that clear delineation of creating times when you're on versus off of work or childcare or housework or and stuff like that can make it a little bit easier to figure out when does stuff need to get done, who does it need to get done by, when does it need to get done by, and how does it need to get done? Because mm -hmm. if something's really important to you, like for instance, I do all the laundry simply because I care a lot more mm -hmm. about whether or not my clothes last more than four months. Yeah. All of my clothes, I just put in the same, <laughs> the same cycle. And if you wanted to learn how to do it, you totally could. I but, totally could. But that's one of the things, for instance, that we know that for me is one of my things to do when I'm on housework duty and I'm off of work, mm -hmm. right? And so there's, there's little things like that, whereas you have other things that you do and I don't do. But having clear hours where, you know, I am on work, like you can't talk to me 
can help a lot and that can be something that's really necessary to put into place for mom and to explain to the kids as well like especially if they're a bit older your seven-year-old may want to go running to mom about something but if mom's on work and dad is off then she's going to dad yeah and something else that i think uh, another point that helps with this delineation of on time and off time is if you have the space for it having an area that is the workspace just some place that is separate even if you don't have a full room that you can dedicate to this just having a desk set up in a corner of a room and saying this is work area whoever is on is in this corner and they are working and that is fine they get to just focus on that really really helps with that separation yeah exactly and if you don't have the space for an office i personally recommend setting up um, a smaller kind of maybe a desk or a small little office setup in your bedroom or something because it's unlikely the kids are going to be playing in there mm -hmm. um even though long term having your office in your bedroom is probably not the most uh you know sexy idea maybe <laughs> just for short term it's really important to have a space where you feel like you're not going to get pulled towards the chaos that is happening somewhere else i know that as a mom it can be really really hard when the baby is crying to not feel like I don't have a choice, but I have to leave work and go deal with it. Whereas if I couldn't hear it, I mean, he would handle it just fine. Mm -hmm. So having an office helps a lot for that. But if you can't do that, bedroom works as well, or the basement rec room, anything like that. Yeah. And if you're someone who's really bothered by uh, mess or really distracted by just having a cluttered environment, having an office or an area that is set aside where you don't have to look at all that and it's pretty easy to keep tidy and organized is going to be a big help. Another point that I want to make just to this whole separation of time and space when you are on and you are working is this is going to vary from couple to couple but learn about what is actually helpful and useful for one another in terms of the interruptions. I find with Rebecca, for example, there are times when I know she would actually kind of be uplifted and energized a bit if I were to come in and just quickly show her a funny video I'd just taken of the baby doing something really cute. There are other times where I know she is in the thick of writing right now and she needs to just focus and the distractions and everything, those can come later. So sometimes it is okay for a little a little reprieve, a little interruption. You are working at home and so you do have more opportunities to connect. That's not always a bad thing, but learn when it's appropriate and when it's helpful and learn when you should just give them their space and stay away. Yeah, exactly. Having like a code word or something, not a code word in a way, but a, a phrase where you know that when they say that, they mean they're really working. You can mm -hmm. even say I'm working versus I'm really working, something like that. Yeah. But to get back to that reader question now, so we've given three of our main tips on the logistical side, yeah. right? Have, you know, an actual space apart, have time on and off and really sort out the housework so that it feels even. Let's talk about that reader question though now. How do you handle it when you have a bunch of rowdy kids in the house and you don't have the option to do stuff outside the house in the same way? Honestly, I think a lot of it comes down and I can't speak to the having four kids thing, obviously, because we have one and he is lovely. Um, but doing whatever you can to figure out what are the major stressors here? Is it actually the having four kids in the house or is it the noise level of having the four kids in the house, mm -hmm. right? Is it the mess that's being made? Can the kids play outside more? Like, you know, like 60 years ago, most kids played outside most of the day because the houses were really, really small and they all had a lot of kids. Like, yeah. can you honestly just put all the kids in the backyard and let them go wild? You know, like grab a bunch of toys and 
get a bunch of beach balls and put up soccer nets and just kind of let them run loose for a while, you're allowed to go outside during COVID. You're yeah. just not allowed to play with the neighborhood kids. Yeah, you just can't go to a playground. Exactly. But if you have a backyard, first of all, use it. Mm-hmm. Use it a lot. <laughs> yeah. But the other thing, too, is if there's something like the baby's not sleeping or there's something like there's major boredom with the kids and that's causing a lot of sibling arguments, figure out if there's something you can do to nip that issue in the bud, right? If a baby's not sleeping, take a sleep training class. It's going to be worth it. It really is. I have not met a single person who did a sleep training class who then said that it didn't pay for itself. Yeah. Yeah. In the amount of times you don't order in pizza because you have (laughs) the energy to actually make dinner or, you know, the lost um, productivity at work because you're exhausted. Like We were both amazed by how much more energy and sleep we were getting in the first few months of having a baby when after we started doing sleep training with him. Yeah, exactly. Sleep principles. He was too young for sleep training, technically, just so everyone knows. We didn't sleep train our five-week-old. We did sleep principles. We're not in there there with a five-week-old doing, like, the Ferber cryo method or anything. No, that would be completely inappropriate. No, but get an age-appropriate sleep training course. That kind of thing. It really is so important because you can do things that help um, with these very large issues. If your kids are really bored... You know, this is a good opportunity to introduce them to reading if they're big enough. Oh, because it's quiet and it's individual and they can sink themselves into a book for hours if you can get them on it. Completely. And if you are doing it where it's one parent on, one parent off for the childcare duty, check out some family board games. We have a whole post on them. Family board games, if your kids are old enough, can entertain them for hours. Mm -hmm. Like when we were camping, we used to play Euchre for like three hours straight when I was maybe 10 and Katie was eight or nine or I was 11 and Katie was eight or nine I guess so you can do things that keep your kids entertained because often what happens is we put kids in front of an iPad or in front of a gaming system and it's fun for a while but it doesn't actually hit that need to do something yeah you know, it, it, it leaves you feeling restless. Whereas if you sit and you read a book and you've gotten to kind of experience this whole adventure or you do a family board game or you're outside playing in the backyard, there's it's a much different experience and a lot of times it can take down that irritability among the kids. Yeah, like I'll, I'll say just for example from personal experience, like I love playing video games. Uh, I've, I've always been a big gamer, but if Rebecca goes away for a weekend before we had the baby... And I would just have all weekend to kind of sit around the house and play video games and watch TV. About one day in, I start getting that really, really restless. I am just bored, even though I've got all these things I could do that I like doing. I'm just bored and I'm antsy and I'm restless and I'm struggling maybe with a bit of depression. It's just not the same as reading, getting outside, doing things. It really does make a big difference. Yeah, your kids need to have an outlet, not mm-hmm. just a distraction. Yeah. And also, I do want to say, when we're going through this whole COVID thing, and then the reason that we're all home is because of a global pandemic, for Pete's sake, <laughs> there's a lot higher stress just in general. Yeah. And understand that a lot of the irritability you may be feeling towards your spouse, towards your kids, your kids may be feeling towards each other, your spouse is feeling towards you, it may be misplaced anxiety. Yeah. You know, if you are stressed about this, especially if you're living in an area that is higher risk or is not handling this in the safe way, that can be really quite difficult. Because there's a lot of unknown right now. We don't know how long people are going to be working from home. We don't know how long it's going to be until there's a vaccine for this. We don't know how long it's going to be until we can all go to church again and can all join dance groups again and can all go for Zumba classes. And we we don't know. Yeah. And that will affect some of us quite profoundly. Like Rebecca herself, 
uh, acted out hugely uh, just uh, just a week ago. We were watching a movie kind of about some end of the world sort of stuff, and Rebecca said, "Hey, mind if we watch something else?" Yeah, exactly. I was like, "This is hitting me a little bit too too real right now." Yeah, but I've been I have been snippier, and I've had a shorter temper because I don't handle stress that well, and I've had to apologize a lot because of that. And we have. Um, and in the last few weeks, we've really sorted it out because mm-hmm. a lot of it was also, we also moved in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah. But even for people who do this every day, it it did even wear on us a little bit because of the added stress of the pandemic. So just understand that if you're being shorter and if you have a temper a little bit more than normal, just put it back in its proper place and learn to ask yourself, am I mad at my spouse or am I just stressed? Give yourself and give your spouse grace but also talk about these things and identify the stress for what it is. Yeah, because you don't get to snap at your spouse because you're no. stressed. You don't get to do that. That's not right. And and that comes from someone where in our marriage, I'm the one who does it. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not allowed to do that. You yeah. can have grace towards your spouse if they snap at you because they are not handling their anxiety very well. But that doesn't mean you need to allow it to keep happening. Yeah. Now, finally, I just want to say that, you know, we're all about having a frequent flourishing, mutual, wonderful sex life on the blog. We totally are. are. But also recognize that if you have a couple months where sex is just difficult, you haven't necessarily failed. No. Like, we're in a global pandemic for Pete's (laughs) sake, and this woman has four kids plus a baby, and her husband's working from home, and they're just all super stressed, and the baby's not sleeping, and like... If sex takes a little bit to figure out, that's okay. Yeah, like we've been trying to say on the blog over the past little bit, men can go for longer than this 72 hours without sex. We really can. And so don't feel like there's this pressure, otherwise you are failing. If your sex life just isn't where it was before this global crisis sprung up, it's okay to have sex kind of go on the back burner for a little bit. Yeah, and so with that said, if you are feeling very anxious and very irritable and like your patience is wearing thin with each other, sex is usually a pretty good way to deal with that. You so might need to get some. It's just, <laughs> sometimes if, if sex is good and if you're, if you're missing it and you're just feeling like there's just not time for it, making it a priority to put good systems in place and also to kind of figure out when good enough is good enough mm-hmm. so that you can just at the end of the day being like there are dishes in the sink but it's okay yep. you know because we're in a global pandemic and i would much rather have some sexy time with my spouse than do dishes right now that's okay mm-hmm. you know so you don't need to feel like if you aren't having sex at the same frequency that you were before that you're failing You really don't, and you just have a lot of grace for yourself. Again, we're in a global pandemic. This is unprecedented. You know, there sounds like there's a lot on this woman's plate. I wouldn't, you know, beat yourself up about not being able to have sex that often. That just sounds like kind of a natural part of what's going to happen here. But at the same time, you know, if you are irritable and if you're experiencing a lot of stress, sex can be a really great way to get rid of some of that and it can be a really great outlet so making it a priority with your spouse to go through and figure out what things can we kind of optimize like can we do a sleep training course to get the baby to sleep because usually they only take two weeks maximum usually it's closer to five days and it'll be hard at first so hard but it gets a lot like incredibly easier after that exactly 
So get the baby to sleep potentially if you can, you know, um, have the kids play outside more, you know, and have the kids just do things that's going to get some of their energy out so it's not so loud and so hectic. Figure out how to just give each other grace so that when there are some, you know, spats or just snippiness, you can put it back in its proper place and realize this isn't actually a problem with us. This is a problem with our situation right now, mm -hmm. you know, and then whenever it is possible, make sex a priority because it's such an easy way to connect if you're in a good, healthy marriage where sex is great for both of you. Sex is such an easy way to connect and kind of get past a lot of that frustration and that anxiety because it's just a really good outlet. There's a reason why people have sex when they're cranky and then it makes things better, okay? Mm -hmm. And it sounds like this woman wants to make sex a priority again, so I'm hoping that they're able to find some systems to kind of make life less stressful and to figure out how to kind of get through this whole global pandemic and just get back to having fun together as a family. Yeah. And I think that leads us to our final point is just be friends. Yeah. And I think that we often put so much pressure on the marriage relationship to be perfect. But if you just remember the basic that you married this person for a reason, it was probably because you liked him. Mm -hmm. You know? You probably had a cute butt. Oh my goodness. <laughs> but like, if you married this person because you you found them fun to be around. Getting back to remembering that and having fun together again, whether it's doing family board games nights because you can't send the kids off to youth group, you know, or yeah. it's getting together and all watching one of your favorite movies when you were a kid because, again, you can't ship the kids off to grandma's house. Mm -hmm. And whatever it is, get back to just having fun together whenever possible because it'll help the anxiety go down about this whole COVID thing. It'll mm -hmm. help you distract yourself. It also, it'll help you guys feel more like a united front and like you're really on the same team versus just you're both frantically scrambling to keep your head above water and you kind of feel like you're pulling each other down a little bit in order to get yourself up. Yeah, and that's, that's the reason that for us working from home together has worked so well is because at the end of the day, we are best friends. Yep. We are really close friends. And I think a lot of that is throughout the day when either of us makes bids for attention, we respect that. Yep. And it, it it seems small, but it's a really great way to connect or a really bad place to stumble when throughout the day, if you are at home together, you try getting your spouse's attention with a funny little joke, a little piece of humor or something that you've just been thinking about. And if when your spouse does this to you, if you respond and you pay attention and you listen even if it's just for five ten seconds out of your day or out of what you're doing that kind of thing that habit back and forth makes all the difference yeah exactly and that's something that's so good about being home all the time is you have so many opportunities to just make the other person feel loved and appreciated and seen and laugh together mm -hmm. you know so this is hard. It is going to be a really hard transition for a lot of people. This is a big change. Everything is unknown. We get that. What we're just saying is taking some time, figuring out a good system, figuring out things so that it's fair and equitable and you aren't feeling like you're drowning, dealing with the issues that are causing the most amount of stress and not allowing them to fester. And then just remembering to make your friendship a priority can make all being together in the same house a lot more manageable and a lot more fun. 
Mm -hmm. Because that's what we do is we have fun. Yeah. And so remember, just have grace for each other. You know, figure out your new normal and recognize that it's probably going to look different than it was before. And so if you need to do more housework because your spouse is taking over more than their fair share, be open to that. If you need to learn to kind of back off and just recognize that there are times when your spouse is on or off, then, you know, learn to back off. But if there are Mm -hmm. also ways that you can learn to connect throughout the day so that you don't feel like you're being abandoned in your own home, (laughs) you know, also be open to that. Just figure out what works for you because it's going to be so different for each family. It really is. But have those conversations. Know that it is very possible. And, you know, hopefully we can redeem this whole self-isolation season. Yeah, hopefully we can even see some closeness coming from this. Exactly. I want to take a bit of a detour right now for this question. It's a sad one that came in, doesn't really relate to COVID, but I just want to tackle it anyway. So a woman writes, I'm going to keep this short, but I'm hoping you have some resources that I can use to help a girl in the youth group at our church. She gave in to peer pressure to drink and she found herself waking up from being passed out and she was being pinned down with a hand over her mouth and she was being raped by an older guy. She is young in her walk with Jesus. She has a crazy home life and she has previous sexual abuse. She wants to grow with God, but she has so many questions as to why this happened. I don't want to lead this young lady wrongly and I desire greatly to be able to help her and love her through this, but I feel at a loss. I also had sexual abuse growing up, so I can relate in some ways, but I'm hoping for more help. Okay, so first of all, I just feel so badly for for this woman, but especially for this girl who's gone through this. And we know that she's not the only one. So many of us are victims of rape. So many of us are victims of sexual abuse. So many guys are as well. This really is an epidemic. When it is something this serious, honestly, my first thought is we need to hand this one over to professionals. It's great to want to help someone. And I think that we can be there for someone and we can say, if you ever want to talk, I am here to listen and we can share our stories. And she does have a story to tell, which is great. But sometimes one of the best ways that we help people is by putting them in touch with people who are honestly equipped to do this. And in this case, I would make sure that she has talked to law enforcement if she's willing to do that or that that at least has been presented to her as an option. The proper response whenever you hear of a rape like this is first to take it to the police. Now, sometimes that doesn't work out well. And I just finished Rachel Den Hollander's wonderful book, What is a Girl Worth? And she talks so much about how going to the police can actually really make life even more difficult. And that's why a lot of survivors don't go to police. And so I understand that that can be a difficult step to take. But I also think it's empowering for girls to know that they have that option. And then that really is up to them to decide what to do. You can't make that decision for anybody else, but they need to know they have that option and that something very serious was done to them. And that's not okay. And then I think what she really needs is to be put into contact with a licensed counselor who knows how to deal with abuse issues. And if you also are a victim of sexual abuse and you haven't seen a therapist, that can also help you too. It doesn't mean you're going to be in therapy for the rest of your life. Honestly, a lot of treatments for abuse, it's not even like they go on for a year. Like sometimes you can just see a therapist. There's a lot of really great uh, new treatments. There's neurofeedback, biofeedback, EMDR, lots of different things that can help you deal with uh, PTSD and different 
trauma effects from abuse. And so see a licensed counselor who can help you through this. And make sure that they're trained in how to deal with abuse and not just make it into a spiritual issue where we have to forgive and we have to get over it and we have to see God's um, purpose in all of this. It is true that we need to see God there with us and we do need to understand how much God hurts uh, with us. But true healing from trauma goes beyond just that. And we need to understand how trauma actually affects the brain and actually affects the body. And it's not it's not a spiritual weakness if you haven't gotten over that trauma. And sometimes talking to a licensed therapist is the best thing you can do. I know when I was younger and there were people in my circle that had abuse issues, I wanted to take care of it. And it made me feel really important if I could counsel them. And what I've realized as I've gotten older is that I'm not equipped to do that. I haven't been properly trained in that. And the best thing that we can often do is just to send people to those who know how to do this stuff Uh, and then be there for them and let them know that you're there as much as they want to talk and you will support them in that. Maybe even help pay for their counseling if that's possible. But I would point her to law enforcement that can be empowering to know that this was something serious. You do have a choice and then point her to licensed therapy and get some of that yourself too. And even during COVID, you know, now is a great time to start therapy. So many licensed therapists are doing therapy by Skype now. And so if you are stuck at home with very little to do, maybe God is asking you to work on your issues. I wrote about this uh, earlier this week when I did my little review of the show Tiger King. I only got through five episodes before I had to give up because it was just so awful. But as I watched that, I just saw how much wounded people can hurt other people and we need to deal with our stuff. So maybe COVID is a great time to deal with your stuff. Seek out thy counseling and let, and maybe by week 349 or however many weeks we're here, we'll find that life has really changed and that God has really redeemed this time when we are stuck at home uh, to make a real difference. So that's it for the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast this week. I encourage you to keep showing up at tolovehonorandvacuum.com. Check out the blog post that goes along with this podcast because I'll have lots of other links and rabbit trails for you. And keep us in our prayers as we are finishing up this book. It is a bit of a stressful time. We're way over word count. We're trying to figure out what to cut and how and how to properly convey some of our findings. So we covet your prayers. And as all of us are stuck in quarantine, may we use this time to lean closer into our spouses and with Jesus. And may it be a time that we remember with fondness, even if it is very stressful. So thank you for joining me. Just a reminder to subscribe to this podcast. Please rate it five stars. It helps so much when you leave a review and rate it. It helps other people find the podcast. And wouldn't it be great if people who are searching for Christian marriage advice heard stuff that, you know, was balanced and practical and down to earth. And that's what I try to be. So let's get real help and real solutions for the messiness of life. To love, honor, and vacuum.com. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire, and thank you for joining us.